session, we're going to think about friendship. We'll have a little break after that to get coffee, stretch your legs, use the restroom, whatever else. Um, a session on church's family, then hopefully a good amount of time for, for questions. I'd love to hear what you're thinking and, and that kind of thing. So thinking about friendship, um, is this, it sounds loud to me. Are you guys okay? Good, you're not, your ears aren't exploding with blood. That's okay then, that's fine. Just wanted to make sure. Um, a lot of things in life have a grain to them. Uh, wood obviously has a grain. If you cut against the grain, it, it splinters, it doesn't go smoothly. Uh, paper has a grain to it. If I try and tear this piece of paper down from top to bottom, it'll go around to the right because that's where the grain is. Uh, if you're unfortunate enough to have a cat in your home, your cat's fur has a grain to it. If you stroke the cat against the grain, you will know about it. The cat will communicate that to you. So things in life often have a grain to them. And one of the things we see in the Bible is that God has designed the universe to have a grain to it. There's sort of some basic features of life in God's universe that is designed to go in a particular way. And I wanted to spend much of what we're going to think about in this first session in the book of Proverbs, and Proverbs is all about wisdom, which is another way of saying it's about how to go with the grain of how God has designed the universe to be. And one aspect of that, one vital aspect of that is friendship. So what I want to try and show you um, in this first session is that we will not be wise in God's world without friendship. This is part of what God has given us to live life well in the universe. So I want to think about friendship in, in three ways. I want us to think about the importance of friendship. I want us to think about the marks of friendship. And then I want us to think about the kind of the fuel of friendship. What will actually get our friendships moving, uh, what the impetus for that will be. Um, just a quick thing about the book of Proverbs. If you've never spent time in the book of Proverbs, it's an amazing book of the Bible to hang out in. Uh, the first few chapters are kind of explaining what wisdom is and why we need wisdom, what that whole category is designed to show us. And then the, the second kind of two-thirds of the book, it feels like the writer of the book of Proverbs is in Twitter mode because it's just short, unrelated aphorisms. So I often say to friends who are like, if, if a friend is someone who wants to be reading the Bible every day but is just in a season of unusual busyness, I'll often suggest just, just read a, a chapter of Proverbs because it, these, these little aphorisms are designed to kind of stick in your head, for you to kind of mull over them, to challenge how you might generally think. They're all jumbled up. So it's not like the writer says, well, I'll, I'll put all the, all the wis wisdom verses about money in one place and all the wisdom about relationships in another place and whatever else it might be, because the way we experience life is we need a bit of wisdom here on this, a bit of wisdom there on that, and that's the way the book is. So just, it's a great book to get to know if you don't know the book of Proverbs. So what then do we have to say about friendship? Well, let's think about the importance of friendship, and I'm going to begin with Proverbs 18, verse 24. I think my Bible is the same as the Pew Bibles, in which case it's page 541, if you want to look that up, or if you've got a phone and want to look up Proverbs 
1824 on your phone, you can. If you're, of a, if you're under 30 and have this verse on a tattoo, <laughs> within reason, feel free to, to look that up in, in that way as well. Um, Proverbs 18 verse 24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And so this verse is, is distinguishing like true friendship from two other forms, other common forms of relationship. It's saying that actually real friendship is, is not just having buddies. I don't know what, I'm from England, we call them, you call them mates, oh yeah, my, my mates and I. You buddies, I think you call them buddies over here. You might use the word friends for this, I may be wrong on all of that. Um, these are people you regularly hang out with. People that you feel familiar with. A companion literally means someone you, you have bread with. People who are just kind of generally around, you know them, they know you, um, but you might not know each other deeply. And there's a kind of person like that. Most of my friends at high school were in this category. We hung out all the time, but we, we didn't know each other's deep secrets or anything like that. Uh, technology has made it easier to feel as though we have more of this category of person in our life. There's lots of people that we can we can know about and keep up with at a superficial level and have interactions with. That can give an illusion of friendship, but it's not the kind of real friendship Proverbs is talking about. So if you're on, I don't know, I know most people aren't on Facebook now, but if you're on Facebook and have 300 friends, what you have 300 of is not really friends. It's maybe companions, people who kind of know what you're up to and check in on you. But notice too, this verse is, is also distinguishing friendship even being closer than, than family. So he says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now that's, that's astonishing because in the ancient world, family was massively venerated. We, we think family's important to us. Thanksgiving, yep, going to go home, see family. That is nothing compared to what family meant in the kind of culture to which uh, the book of Proverbs is written. Um, family often very, are, very often are the people who are there for you in difficult times. You know, that's what you do if you, your family, if a family member needs you, you, you go help them. Uh, when I was, uh, I think I was in my late 20s, mid 20s, something like that, had acute appendicitis, didn't know that's what it was, something just hurt. Um, I went to the local doctor, was sat in the waiting room, it was a really busy waiting room, there were like nine people ahead of me in the line to be seen. I was sat there just doubled over, literally howling with pain. Now this is in England and we, we take cues seriously, okay? You do not skip the line. This is a fundamental of orderly life in, in the UK. The doctor comes out of, his, of his, his surgery and says, okay, who's next? And the entire room went, he, he is? Because <laughs> that's how much pain I was in. He, he did one quick prod and poke and said, yep, you've got acute appendicitis. I'm getting you in an ambulance right away. You need to get that taken out pronto. So off I went to the hospital, ambulance, siren. I'd never been in as much pain in my life, but I still had part of me thinking, I'm in an ambulance. This is really cool. 
the doctor did what he needed to do at the, at the hospital, and he said, as soon as we can just confirm the diagnosis, I'll give you some pain relief. So he confirmed the diagnosis, then introduced me to morphine. And I went from being in the most pain I'd ever experienced to just being the happiest <laughs> I'd ever felt. And the weird thing was, my, you know, I'd let my family know, hey, I'm being rushed to hospital, going to have some um, emergency appendectomy. Is that the right word? Um, so by the time they had dropped whatever they were doing and had rushed to where I was, they were arriving in a panic and distressed and worried and anxious. I was just sitting in the hospital going, hey. <laughs> but that's what family do. You, you drop everything when, when there's, there's some kind of crisis. But the friend is slightly different to that. The friend will do that too. But here's part of the point of what makes friendship distinct. A friend is someone who has chosen you. I didn't choose to be in the same family as my brother and my parents. That just happened. I arrived and, okay, these are my parents and this idiot is my brother. And we're there for each other, but when it comes to a friend, all of the obligations they feel towards you as a friend are voluntary. Which makes friendship quite different to a lot of other relationships that we have. Um, C.S. Lewis said in one of his books that there's a sense in which friendship is the least natural form of love because from the point of view of biology, we don't kind of need it. But that is actually what makes it so vital. It's, it's a voluntary form of obligation. Which is why Proverbs repeatedly tells us to, to choose our friends carefully. Because it's a kind of relationship that will affect us. Uh, people you are good friends with you rub off on them and they rub off on you. So when your parents, when you were a kid and your parents were like wanting to know who your friends are, there was a reason for that. They know the kind of friends you have is going to shape the kind of person you become. Uh, so a couple of examples. Um, Proverbs 13 verse 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Uh, Proverbs 22, verse 24, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a, with a wrathful man. It's not saying, you know, reject anyone who has temper issues. It is simply saying, be aware of who you are allowing to have a significant influence in your life. And this is a, a form of, of relationship, friendship, that, that our culture has really lost sight of. I'll talk a bit more about this tomorrow, but we've kind of in the Western world at the moment, we've put all of our focus on romantic and sexual love. We've made that the kind of the big deal, the special thing. And we therefore, we've made friendship something that's been demoted. We're just not as interested in it. Um, I remember in, in one of his sermons, Tim Keller was talking about Lord of the Rings and Tim Keller knew Lord of the Rings well, he read it every single year. But I remember him saying that the, the books are all about friendship. And there's a bit of romantic stuff in the appendices, but in the movies, we've taken the romantic stuff from the appendices and tried to make that part of the main plot because 
that's more interesting to us than friendship. And we find it very hard, therefore, to conceive of deep friendship, of deep relationship that isn't somehow to do with sex. We're very Freudian. So I remember a few years ago when it was the centenary of the First World War, um, I think it was BBC Radio, someone like that, was, was airing readings from diaries from soldiers so that you could kind of, they would do this thing each day for about 15 minutes where they would just read an extract from a soldier's diary just to give you a flavor of what they were going through. And then they'd have a couple of guests on to discuss what was said. And, and you often had references made to the really deep bonds of friendship that formed in the trenches. But what was fascinating to me was some of the people then discussing those extracts would say things like, well, they were probably gay. Because we don't have a category for closeness that isn't ultimately sexual. Which says a lot more about us than it does about them. Uh, we have lost sight of a whole category of intimacy that we need. And Proverbs 18.24 is, is warning us that we can face ruin if we don't have the kind of friendship Proverbs is going to tell us about. So what is, what is a friend in Proverbs? Uh, on Facebook, a friend is someone that you, you give access to your, your profile. You know, if someone has access to your profile, you have friended them. That's the kind of bar we have in our culture today of friendship. Uh, Proverbs is something more profound. I've got five features of, of real friendship. Um, because I'm a preacher, I've made them all begin with, with C. So I hope you appreciate that. Um, the last C doesn't, well, it's a weird C, but I needed to, I was committed by that point. <laughs> so here's the first thing, constancy. A, re a real friend, someone who's a, a proper friend, a Proverbs friend, there's a constancy to them. So Proverbs 17, verse 17 says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So in other words, a real friend is your friend, whatever, whatever's going on, whatever is, is happening in your life. A friend loves at all times. When it suits them, when it doesn't suit them, when, you, when you're on good form, when you're on a terrible form. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. It's actually quite unusual to find someone who is going to stick by you no matter what. So if you find a friend like that, a friend who is faithful in all seasons, cherish them. Don't let them go. A real friend will stick with you through good times and bad times. Uh, Proverbs 19 verse 4 says, Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. And that's the way of the world. Some people give the impression of wanting to be your friend because they think you might be useful to them. That is not real friendship. Uh, if you know the parable of the prodigal son in, in Luke chapter 15, you see that principle being played out 
in practice, when, when the prodigal son had all the money, he had no shortage of friends, but as soon as he lost it all, they abandoned him. And it's, it's part of the way we, we do things in this world that we often see each other with a kind of cost-benefit calculus. I, you know, we, we size each other up and we think, are you, are you someone it's worth me knowing? I'm sure that's the case in a, in a context like this where there's a lot of ambition, where there's a lot of people trying to climb ladders and power and advancement, and we're thinking, are you going to be useful to me in that or not? Well, the real friend is they don't see you as a means to an end. They'll love you when you get fired. They'll be with you when you have nothing going for you. Constancy. Secondly, candor. A good friend will be honest with you, even when that honesty is uncomfortable. Now, they're not going to get a kick out of it, they're not going to be a jerk about it, but they will love you enough to tell you what you need to hear. Um, Proverbs 27, verse 5, says, Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. If someone truly loves you, they will be prepared to say something you don't want to hear if it's for your good. They'll be prepared to say something that might hurt you to hear if it's something you really need to hear. I can think of a, a couple of friends, I can't think of this verse without seeing their faces, a couple of friends over the years who have come alongside me at different times and, and told me ways in which I'm being an idiot. In one case, I was about to make a life decision. Everyone else was kind of like, wait, that looks really cool. And he was like, what, what are you doing? He knew me well enough to know, to know I was being a fool. Um, Garrett mentioned my, my friend Ray Ortland. He was, um, he's retired from being a pastor, but he's still a, a dear friend of mine. Ray's in his 70s. The question Ray most often asks me is, what am I not seeing in myself? Level with me, what am I not seeing in myself? Please tell me. Um, if we truly, this is one of the paradoxes of friendship. If it's a real friendship, you're, you're prepared to risk losing it for the sake of the other person. Candor. Thirdly, connection. Here's one of the differences between what we tend to think of friendship being today and what friendship is in the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs, a friend is someone who knows your soul. They know the inside of you and not just the outside. So Proverbs 27 verse 9, oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel, literally from his soul's counsel. There's something sweet about someone speaking to you from the very depths of their heart. 
The verse says, oil and perfume make the heart glad. We, we like our aftershaves, perfumes, scented candles, oil diffusers. We like the kind of, you know, having the nice essential oils type thing going. Um, I was just staying somewhere recently and they had these little, I've never seen these before, I guess they're common, but these little bottles of, of something you spray on your pillow, like a lavender thing, you spray on your pillow before bedtime and it helps you sleep and you're like, well, that's cool, I like that. Those kind of things are nice and cool, but this is saying even better than that is, is someone who, they just know your soul and so when they give you counsel, you really listen because like, this, this, this friend really knows me so when I ask their opinion, I'm going to listen so carefully to what they have to say. It's as if they're investing their whole being in helping you. Which means there's also a kind of an emotional sensitivity. Uh, some of us will particularly like this verse. Proverbs 27 verse 14. Um, Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Okay, you may know someone in your life who's like that. You're not a morning person. They are. And they're at like full strength. First thing in the morning, I, I had to get up early recently and go on a trip with a friend. And it was like 4.30. We were in the car on the way to the airport. They were already like fully wired, chatting, questions. What do you think about this? And I'm like... Stop talking. I'm just, I'm just not ready for someone to talk to me yet. It's not just that some of us aren't morning people and some of us are, that the whole point of that proverb is that you attune yourself to your friends. You, you attune yourself to where the other person is at. Uh, Proverbs 25, verse 20 says, Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. In other words, when you're down, when life is in a, is in a difficult season and you feel the heaviness of it, you're feeling low, a friend, a friend adjusts to that. The friend doesn't just come up to you being all kind of bouncy and trivial and frivolous. Actually, we, we feel for each other. Uh, in the New Testament, we're told to weep with those who weep and, and rejoice with those who, who rejoice. And that's not an affectation. It's assuming when we truly care about someone, we don't have to pretend to weep just because they're weeping. We actually feel like weeping because... When we have that kind of connection, it's, it's hard to be indifferent to what the other person is going through. If, if someone who's very close to us is at rock bottom, that's going to affect us. It should affect us. That's a sign of friendship. There's that kind of connection. What affects them begins to affect you. Now, those two things, candor and connection, are great when they go together. Candor without connection can often be profoundly insensitive. Someone can say the right thing, but in totally the wrong way and at the wrong time. And someone who has that connection and can then be honest with you, even, and you know that they feel for you, it will make their words even more 
precious to you. So, what was the first one? Constancy, I think, wasn't it? Um, candor, connection. The fourth thing is, is confidence. A friend is someone you bring into your confidence. It's someone that you tell your secrets to. Um, I'm told that the Hebrew word for friend is, is related to the Hebrew word for secret for that reason. A friend is the person you, you tell your, your secrets to. You spill the beans to them. You open up to them. And again, we see that throughout the Bible. We need people that we can be completely honest with. It's hard in this life because we, we want to be known and we want to be loved. And it can feel like those two things are intention. Because I'm thinking, you seem to like me and want to be my friend, but I'm worried if you find out too much about me, you might not like me anymore. We all have dark things in our hearts. Which is why when you can find a friend that you can be truly honest with, you can even share the worst things about yourself with that person and they will still stand by you and stick with you and they will tell you some of their stuff too. That is an amazing friendship. Um, James 5 verse 16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So as Christians, we're, we're meant to confess our sins to God. Maybe we, we kind of know that. But we're also meant to confess our sins to one another. And I find that harder because God already knows all the worst things about me. I'm not surprising him. Whereas with you guys, you, there's a risk I can lose face with you. There's, there's more to lose if I actually tell you some of the worst sins I, I, might be, I might be struggling with. But we need that. James isn't saying every Christian has to tell every other Christian all of their sins all of the time. that We wouldn't get anything else done. But he's saying all of us need one, two, three people in our lives that we can be transparent with. And James says, as we do that, as we have people we can be that honest with, that we can bring into that level of confidence, something healing happens. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It actually does us a lot of psychological good to have people we can be transparent with. If we're constantly hiding things from people and working around that, psychologically, that can be quite harmful. So we need people we can bring into our confidence. And then the, the final C is, I've called it cruciformity, but it's this idea that actually there's something sacrificial about friendship. It's going to be costly to us. It's not performative. Uh, my friend Ray that I mentioned earlier, he, he often says there are, there are two ways to walk into a room. Uh, two mindsets with which you can walk into a room. You can walk into the room with, with the mindset of 
here I am. Who's going to notice me? Who's going to love me? Who's going to make conversation with me? Or you can walk into a room with the mindset of, there you are. And you can make thinking about that, that context, okay, this is not about me, this is about, this is about other people. Who am I going to be a friend to? Who am I going to notice? Who am I going to initiate conversation with? Who am I going to take an interest in and put, put their needs above my own? One of the kind of weird paradoxes of, of how this works is, if we go through our life waiting for other people to notice us and to love us, we will probably not make many good friends. Because our mindset will be, are they, are they being there enough for me? Whereas if we look for other people to love, to serve, to care for, we actually will get a lot of love back. We don't do that as a, as a tactic, but if we do that sincerely, we will find real friendship. But friendship works when it's not about me. The more I see my friendship as being me trying to be there for others, the more actually I find real friendship happens. So those are five marks of friendship. I'm sure there are other things we could add to that list, but constancy, candor, connection, confidence, cruciformity. And it, it begs the question, if, if that's what's involved in real friendship, first question, do I have that kind of friend? If that's our working definition, how many friends do I really have? Second question, am I this kind of friend to anyone else? Am I being this kind of friend to others? Which leads to the, the third thing, which is that the kind of fuel for friendship, what is going to galvanize friendship, what is going to be the kind of jet fuel for it, is to realize that <laughs> the way to become this kind of friend and the way to have this kind of friend is actually to know Jesus. And that is not a preacher gimmick where we're talking about something that we feel a genuine need for, and then I try and persuade you that Jesus is the answer to that need. This is, this is, this is genuine. Uh, Jesus says in John chapter 15, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, I would not believe this verse if it was not there in the Bible. Because Jesus says to his disciples, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. Jesus is saying of his, of his people, you and me, what we've got going on is friendship. Yes, we, we serve him. That's true. But he wants to say, actually, if you like, the primary category for how he sees us is friends. In the Bible, he's referred to as the friend of sinners. And he calls us his friends. Because Jesus embodies perfect friendship in who he is and what he's done for us. 
So Jesus is the one who is constant. He says to us, surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. He's the friend who actually can be there at every single moment of our lives. He's always present with us. We don't ever need to go through a waking moment without Jesus. He's constantly available. Even our, our best-willed human friends can't be there for us all the time. Jesus can. You can have Jesus' full attention all the time. And he can be with us even in those places where nobody else can. Jesus can be with us as even as we go into death itself. He is so present with us. He's candid with us. There is no one more able to show us what we're really like than Jesus. In John 4, when Jesus meets this, this Samaritan woman, one of the things she goes off and says to, to her community after she's met him is she says to them, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? She's saying, listen, Jesus just made complete sense of me to me. He just put his finger on who I am in a way that is is so uncanny he must not he must be from heaven and we find that as we as we read the bible as we read the gospels as we come to scripture we realize that the words of jesus are searching us i have, I have a number of friends who have become christians because they thought they would read a gospel to find out a bit about jesus but let's keep him at arm's length i'm just doing this to find out about what christians believe I'm not looking for not looking for a date, not looking for a relationship, not looking for a religion. But as they read the gospel, they began to realize Jesus, it's hard to keep him at arm's length. He, he just exposes what we're like. It's quite uncanny. If you've never read a gospel as an, as an adult, I challenge you to do that and to try and keep Jesus at arm's length. Because he, the, the Bible says that that scripture is like a two-edged sword. It, it kind of cuts back on us. And the more we, we see who Jesus is, the more we actually begin to truly see who we are in comparison. And it, it ain't pretty. He's candid with us. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Jesus wounds himself to bless us. Connection, there is no greater, it's hard to say this, the human language, the English language is not sufficient to communicate what I'm trying to say right now. There is no closer relationship we can have in the universe than what Jesus is offering us. Because Jesus goes as far as to say that we become one with him when we come to know him. We don't get merged into him in some kind of weird kind of spooky kind of way. We're still us and he's still him, but we are so close to him, we're one with him. He says we are in him and he is in us. That is how closely he identifies with us. In, in Acts chapter 9, when, when Paul, who was then Saul, before he was a Christian and he was 
he was violently opposing the church. And you may know the story, Paul had his conversion on the Damascus Road. Um, he was confronted by a vision of the risen Jesus. He's out there trying to get Christians killed and sent to prison. And Jesus says to him, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He says, why are you persecuting me? What? In other words, Jesus is saying, what, what you do to them, you do to me. Because I'm one with them. So there is a sense in which whatever we are going through, Jesus feels for us. He's that connected to us. In terms of confidence, Jesus says in that verse in John 15, he says, I've called you friends because all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, I've, I've let you in on everything. All that I have heard from my Father, I've made known to you. He said, I've not, I've not held anything back. Everything I've heard, I've, I've told you about. I've spilled all the beans. He's taken us into his confidence in that way. He's let us in on everything that's going on. And he knows us so thoroughly and so exhaustively that we don't get to keep secrets from him either. And then finally, cruciformity. Jesus says in John 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. In our cultural moment, we would complete that verse very differently. Greater love has no one than this, than, you know, we, we would think of some extraordinary romantic gesture, perhaps. But it's interesting that when Jesus is looking for an example of the greatest form of love, he, he not only reaches to the category of friendship, but he reaches to the category of sacrificial friendship. Because that's what we see in him. Jesus did lay down his life for his friends, and his friends weren't that great. The very friends he's talking about here, one of them's about to deny him, one of them's about to betray him, and the rest are going to abandon him. But he still laid down his life for them. He is a much better friend to us than we are to him, and he'll still take us on that ground, on that basis. This is never going to be a symmetrical friendship, but he seems okay with that. He's always going to be the perfect friend to us, and we, are, we can be faithful to him, but we're going to be high maintenance. We're going to be needy. We're going to let him down every day in some way. And still he calls us his friends. So we can have the perfect Proverbs-type friend in Jesus. And then once we have that kind of friendship in Jesus, we can begin more and more to be this kind of friend to other people. 
Because if, if I begin to understand all that Jesus is being to me, it gives me some security to begin to, to risk being that kind of friend to other people. If I know I am fully accepted and fully embraced and fully loved by Jesus, no matter what dark stuff is in my heart, then the potential of you rejecting me becomes just slightly less catastrophic because I have the one who will never reject me. I've got more to give of my own self because Jesus has given all of himself to me. And so one of the signs that we have this kind of friend in Jesus is that we increasingly start to become this kind of friend to one another. It's one of the great features of the Christian life is that the more we stare at Jesus, the more we become like him. It just happens. And so the more we revel in his friendship, the more we revel in his love for us, the more we just find ourselves wanting to be like him to other people. We start to instinctively put the interests of others before ourselves. We start instinctively to think, actually, I want to be there for them more than I want them to be there for me. The more we're willing to put ourselves on the line and risk being hurt because of what we have in Jesus. He's the best kind of friend and he makes us better friends because of that. Which is why this should be a mark of gospel community. We have little excuse for our, our church communities not being ground zero of this kind of friendship because Jesus is here and he's with us and part of the fruit of Jesus being with us is this kind of friendship will start to happen. So may we find in our church communities a quality of friendship that we can't find anywhere else. Not because we Christians think we're better than everybody else but because Jesus is rubbing off on us. And it's inevitable. We become like him. I'll pray, then it's a quick, quick break. Yeah. Father, thank you for the wisdom we have in the Bible about something like friendship. We, we need it today. Help us to cultivate the kinds of friendships Proverbs is talking about. Help us to be the kind of friend Proverbs is commending. And behind all of that, Father, we thank you for the one who is that perfect kind of friend to us, the Lord Jesus. Help us to, help us to meditate long on that, just to revel in all that Jesus is to us, that we might naturally, instinctively be that more and more to other people. We pray it in his name. Amen. Okay, 10 minutes, according to Garrett. See you in a few minutes. For somebody who really wants friendship, and maybe it feels like they're trying, but feel like they're lacking this kind of friendship that we're, that we're talking about tonight, um, if they're tempted to feel like maybe the problem is that they're just not connected enough to Jesus, 
Like, so maybe they're striving toward that Christ-likeness that we talked about at the end. They feel like they're trying to give of themselves, but it's, they just keep running into brick walls, it feels like to them. That's kind of their experience. So one of the temptations might be, well, maybe you're just not close enough to Jesus, and that's the, that's the issue. How might you help somebody uh, navigate that? Um, yeah, and, and the other part of that is, it, or maybe is it because uh, I'm not uh, approaching friendship with, with the posture of giving enough? Somebody who maybe is feeling with that. How would you? Yeah, the trouble with that is, should I be closer to Jesus? The answer is always yes. So yeah, we, we could always do with being closer to Jesus. That, but that might not be the reason you, you're not seeing the connections happening. Um, it could be that we're not thinking about it in terms of am I, am I being there for others? Um, part of the way we're, we're kind of culturally wired at the moment is to be very focused on are other people being there for me? Um, and we often kind of see the world with that mindset. Who's going to love me? Who's going to be there for me? Who's going to take an interest in me? If that's our primary question, we will never have enough love. No one will ever be there enough for us. If that's the primary question we're asking, we'll always feel like people are falling short. We'll always be disappointed with others. We'll always be moving on to another friendship group because the other lot just weren't good enough. Whereas if we do come out to the, to the world with that posture of who can I serve, who can I be a friend to, we are far more likely to pick up real friendships along the way. Now, some places are just harder to make friends than others. So sometimes, you know, context can be a big factor as well. Uh, some places are, are just harder to, to do that in. But we know, we know from the Bible that we need friends. We know that God, so we can pray for them as well. If we're finding, like, I just don't seem to be getting friends, it's to think, okay, maybe there's some stuff I need to work on, but actually, I'm just going to keep praying to God that he would give me at least one new good friend. Because God loves to give good gifts to his children. And he's the one saying we need friends and that this is a good thing for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's be praying a lot and seeking, just looking for opportunities to serve I find I'm not just, Garrett hasn't told me to say this bit, but I, I find the, the church, one of the easiest ways to make friends in a church context is, is to try and serve the church in some way. Because I find it's often as, as we're serving together, that's often where friendship starts to form. So I've often said to people at my own church, if you, if you feel like you're still on the edges relationally, Maybe sign up for one of the serve teams, because actually the, the friendship often comes out of that kind of shared experience, that shared camaraderie, that shared commitment. That can often be the, the on-ramp to really good friendship as well. That's good. Thank you. Um, I'm going to ask one more question, and then who knows they have questions? Go ahead and put some hands up. So we've got uh, Pete and Nick who have the mics. They will find you guys, so go get next to whomever is going to be, be up next. Um, and whenever you just give us your name and then, then your question. So what, what would you counsel to people who live in this area, which, you know, we talked about at lunch. It's, it's uniquely busy here. If you ask most people, how you doing? Most people would probably say what? 
busy is what I was looking for. <laughs> and since I didn't understand everybody, anybody, I'll just, they said what I was looking for, which was I'm pretty busy. There's a lot of busyness here. People's yeah. schedules are packed, traffic's awful, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, how, how would you encourage people in a very yeah. busy area to, to pursue friendship? Yeah, I think I'd say, I'd say two things. Busyness obviously doesn't help. Um, so the first thing is to think, what am I already doing that I could just try and involve other people with? So I've, stu I've still got to eat dinner, however busy I am. I've still got to eat some food at some point. So maybe I can, that can be a moment I can share with somebody else. Or I've got to, I've got to go and run some errands. These things sound so dumb and trivial, but life is made up of the trivial things. Um, I, you know, I was catching up with a friend a few days ago. He needed to go and, and buy some new glasses, frames. So then I'll, I'll come with you and help you pick out some glasses, frames. Real life happens in those moments. So I find it can even be that the kind of mundane things. If you, if you find ways of sharing those things, I, I've seen friends who've gone and done their laundry together because they're like, well, we both need to do laundry. We don't have time to catch up otherwise. Why don't we just go and do this together? I've got a friend I, I often go and get my hair cut with because we go to the same barber. So we're like, why don't we just do that together? Um, so trying to involve people in the things you're already doing isn't adding anything else to your, to your schedule, but you'll start to find actually you feel like you're doing life with others. So that would be one thing is what, what in what you're already doing can you involve other people in? Um, there's another friend of mine who lives sort of on my way to the grocery store. So I'll often message him and say, hey, I'm going to get some groceries in the next couple of days. Do you want to join me? Or is there stuff I can pick up and drop off for you? And again, it, it can put some kind of relational time into something I was going to have to do anyway. And it may not be the best quality time in, in Kroger, but it's still meaningful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I would say something's better than nothing. Yeah. Always. And, oft, and Always like I said, that the cumulative effect of lots of little mundane things actually is very significant. Um, the other thing I would say is, even when we're busy, we make time for the things that matter most to us. Um, we just do. We, we always find a way of, of making sure the thing that matters most to us, we get round to. And so some of it will be a hard attitude as well of thinking, this needs to matter to my heart. And I'm not going to prescribe what that should look like in terms of scheduling and all the rest of it. But if it really matters to your heart, you'll find a way. Um, we, we find a way of, of building in what we know we need to survive, and we need friendship to survive. When we're convinced of that part, we'll try to find a way of making sure there's, there's time for it. That's good. JJ, tell us your name, and then give us your question. Hello, my name is JJ. I had a feeling it might be. <laughs> yes. Um, so my question is kind of like related to um, thinking about friendship uh, as I like help walk a lot of people through uh, at this church and outside of this church from a cultural context. So I think it's semi-related to the first question, but just to kind of give it a little more clear context of, okay, like we live in a city, we live in such 
uh, we live in a place where there's a lot of diversity of like background and how people were raised, how people made friends when they were younger. And now we're coming into a city where all of that is different. And as we think about it within the tune of how do I sacrificially be a friend, but at the same time, all of these kind of natural like ways that I like to be loved, I like to give love, and that compatibility may not be there or may be there, um, especially when you kind of like throw in like those cultural um, differences as well. So yeah. like how would you help someone think about it from that perspective where they feel like they're in a context where, hey, like I don't, like I, I, can, do, I can do so much to just like, sacrificially give all the time, but then there are all of these like cultural kind of natural things that doesn't feel like is being yeah. met. Yeah, thank, that's a really astute question. Um, the, the, that kind of level of, of diversity, and we're not just talking cultural diversity, but even within the same culture, our, our backgrounds, relational backgrounds can be so different like I said, how we make friendships can, can be wildly different. That, that mix, that diversity is both a challenge and an amazing opportunity. Uh, some of the most enriching friendships I've had are with people I didn't think I was going to naturally click with because they were different in some way that I thought, oh, but we just don't see the world in the same way. But that is, those friendships are often ones that are uniquely enriching for that very reason. Um, so there, there's, a, there's a kind of, there's an opportunity in that, even if it, if it may be a bit, a bit more work getting some of those friendships off the ground. Um, but to think, okay, I, I have an opportunity in this context to be friends with potentially quite a range of people, um, and particularly within the, the, the life of a church where, where we have Jesus in common, that can often be the thing that can then help us to overcome some of the other things where we're quite different and see the world in different ways. Um, Jesus is the kind of bridge and the connection there. Um, and it's, it's a really sweet part of the gospel's fruit that we end up being friends we would have no other earthly reason to be friends with were it not for the fact that Jesus raised from the dead. And it can be, it, that in itself can then become an amazing evidence of the power of the gospel that actually there, there's people here knitted together through through friendship with christ that would have been at each other's throats or at least <laughs> having nothing to do with each other were it not for their their shared faith in jesus so it just may mean that we, we need to take more time listening to each other and understanding each other as we try to build out that friendship because we'll, we may be coming with different expectations different different understandings of what, what friendship will look like or how you get into friendship. Um, but I think part of, part, of, part of that is just making sure we do what we can to understand each other. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm now seeing that for you, friendship means quite a bit of this, whereas for me it tends to mean more of that. That's okay. Once we understand those things, we can, we can kind of adapt to them and, and make allowance for that. But God will help us to do that. They take a bit more effort at the front end, but actually the, the enrichment that can come as a result of that is often even greater than with people that we 
are more like initially and where the friendship more easily forms because friendship in indifference um, can be so uniquely enriching. I, I would just add as well, compare notes. So talk to others about it. So how, how, have, you, how have you found doing this? And that there'll be things we can learn from each other. Yeah, I just even think as you look through the New Testament, like the constant theme is that Jews and Gentiles are coming together from such vast different cultural yeah. backgrounds. And I just imagine how many conversations there must have been in order for love to really be like abounding yeah. and for the friendships to really go deep. So I think it's where we just have a responsibility to one another, especially if we know that we come from different backgrounds, is to say, so tell me, what's, what's, what's it like for you to be at this church? Yeah. What's, what's enjoyable for you? What's difficult for you? Are there hurdles that you're constantly having to jump over to, to be here? Um, are, there, are there things that, that we do here that make it difficult? Um, are there ways that I could be a better friend? What would yeah. that look like? So I think those sorts of honest... Um, those, yeah. those really help. And, and allowing the other person to accidentally offend us. Yeah. Because we don't always know we're offending each other yeah. in the way we approach things. So giving each other grace and saying, listen, I, I may be offending you without even knowing I am. Would you, would you be kind enough to let me know when that's the case? Because I don't want to. Mm -hmm. um, that, that can really help as well. That's good. Thanks. No. Next, anybody other, other questions? Who's got mics? There you go. Anybody else? Questions? Hands up? We'll get, you got it there? Okay, good. Uh, I'm Jared. Um, I think my question, I thought you made a really great point about how our culture has lost the category of friendship. It also strikes me that part of the problem is, is that we also don't see friendship as connected, as integrated to something like marriage as much, in the sense that the virtues we develop in friendship are, are connected or, or lay the foundation for healthy virtues and, and romantic relationships. Um, I'd just be curious if you would speak to that and how we might address that. Because I mean, and I, part of my context is having lived with, a, you know, in, in houses with a lot of, you know, younger guys, uh, roommates, you know, it's like there can be this sort of idea that like marriage is where you like really graduate into virtues of, you know, things like caring for your friends by cleaning the dishes or, uh, things like that may seem, seem disconnected or people can bifurcate those. Um, but actually loving, it strikes me that perhaps loving your friends in that way is actually really integrated. Um, I don't know if you have thoughts on that or, or want to weigh in on that. Yeah, I'll, I'll try. Um, so I'm going to say two things at the same time, both of which are true. One, is which, one of which is that for, for a healthy marriage, you need the foundation of friendship. The second is the kind of friendship it turns into is, is of a very different structure to normal friendship. Um, part of the architecture of marriage is that it's, it's a form of friendship that has to be exclusive. So it takes on a different nature to other friendship. Other friendship is not, does not need to be exclusive. It can be outward facing, it can draw in other people. It's not a zero-sum game where if I'm friends with Garrett and then I become friends with you, he gets less of my friendship. It's not like that. Um, whereas when you're in the, in the kind of romantic area and, and particularly in marriage, you're within, within the framework of covenant and exclusivity. 
So you do need that friendship to be there in the marriage because all the romantic stuff's going to come and go. And if you don't actually like each other as, as friends, it's going to be hard to, to stick with it. But with regular friendship, you, it's a different species of friendship. So it's not that you graduate out of friendship into marriage, as if that's a higher form of friendship. Um, it's a different form of friendship, but it's not like it's superior to it. Um, not least because the, the friendship aspect of your marriage will be eternal, but the marriage expression of it won't be. Uh, the marriage is, is the, if I can put it this way, the temporary housing for the friendship in this life, but we won't be married in the age to come. So we, we mustn't sort of elevate romantic friendship and, and marriage as being intrinsically superior to friendship, and therefore you kind of leave friendship behind and get into marriage. And I, I've seen a few marriages fall apart because that was what they thought. And they, they kind of ditched their friends when they became married because they thought, well, we don't need them anymore. We've graduated out of that. We've now found the one, and we're going to be everything each other needs, and you can't be. And without the, the kind of stabilizing, balancing presence of friendships around you, that can put the marriage in a very vulnerable and unhealthy position. Mm -hmm. So married people need friendships as much as single people do. Mm -hmm. um, it will help the marriage be healthier if you've got good friendships outside of the marriage. Does that hint at what you're getting to? And I would even say exhibit A of the fact that, you know, marriage isn't graduating from friendship is Jesus. I mean, he was the best friend that there ever was, that he didn't need to be, to be married to, to do that. And that's where, yeah. I think even tied to like the, the doing the dishes kind of thing, that's a character issue. It's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve because these are the people God's put around me right now, and I'm going to bless them. If you're always kind of waiting for that thing someday that's going to happen, that's, that's not going to help you form the sort of character that, that Christ is going to you know, want to be forming on a, in us right now. So let's, nobody's promised marriage, right? I, I'm not even promised marriage tomorrow. I mean, I'm married now, but the Lord could, could take my wife. We're, 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 we're promised whatever's right in front of us right now, and that's where we just want to invest in whomever God does put in front of us. And that might be even something else as we're thinking about wanting friends. Some of us want certain, certain friends, we want certain kinds of friends, and we overlook the people who God's actually put right in front of us. Mm. Um, you know, one of the prayers we pray with our kids every day whenever we take them to, to school is, Lord, help me to be friends to people who don't have friends. Yeah. To be mindful of who's, who's by themselves today, and those are the people that are right there in front of you. And sometimes there's a real temptation, yeah, but I want to be in that crowd, or I want to be with those people, or I want that person to be my friend. And that might not be what the Lord, the Lord has for us. So whoever's in front of us, that's kind of like, I think, the opportunity for, for love there. But yeah, it's good. Hey there, my name is Jake. And, uh, Where are you? Right here. Oh, there you are. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Sorry. He's, I heard a voice. Yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, my question would be, how should we think about friendship with friends that we've been close with during a certain season of life, such as college, but we're now in a different location in a different season of life? Um, and how much should we prioritize the friendships with those people who do know us deeply um, as we're trying to go deep with those right around us, um, but those former people live far away? So how do we think through that well? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, okay, this is a bit, kind of, a bit kind of corny, but someone told me this when I was moving from 
one city to another city, and it, it really helped me. He said, um, make new friends and keep the old. The first are like silver, the second are like gold. There's something about a friend who's known you for a long time. Say that one again. Say it again. I, th I think I've got it right. Um, make new friends and maintain the old. Wow. The first are like silver, the second are like gold. Um, so, you know, when I moved here from the UK, there's, I can't keep in touch to the same extent with everyone I was friends with in the UK. But there are, there are particular friends that I, I need to keep in touch with because I, I, need, I need to have those friends that we've walked through decades of life together. That's a unique kind of thing. We don't need to, we're not going to talk to each other as much. And we're not gonna, obviously not going to see each other as much as we would have done. But we can still talk to each other enough for that friendship to remain a unique blessing. And then moving into a new city, there's obviously now a new set of people in front of me that are going to be my primary focus. So we can, we can still maintain those previous friendships, those more distant friendships. They will bring something slightly different to the friendship table. That, that kind of past history is, is so meaningful. Um, so we neither... We neither think, well, I don't need these new people because I've got those old friends, and nor do we think, well, those old friends aren't right in front of me, so I'm just going to ignore them. We cultivate the friendships around where we are, and we try and maintain as much as we can that the friendships that we, we bring with us through our lives. Moving kind of puts, puts into focus, actually, who are, who are my friends for life? Um, not, not everyone is, and that's, that's not a slight. That's just the nature of life. We can't be equally deep with everyone. Jesus had the 72, he had the 12. Within the 12, he had the three that he, was, he seemed to be closer to. So there's going to be kind of concentric circles of, of closeness within our broad category of friendship. Mm -hmm. And we need all of that. That's good. How about we're going to take one more that was... Two more. Go ahead. Yep. Yeah. You and then this one, and then, then we'll go into the next session. Uh, hi, my name is Sejin. Uh, I actually waved it off because I thought I got an answer and I got like a follow-up. So my initial question was, uh, I mean, I have great friends here, but back in Korea, where I'm from, uh, I really had a lot of like younger uh, kids around me and to them I was more like a like a church mentor kind of person than like a real close friend friend and uh, so I was about to ask how can I be like a good friend for them like like an intimate real friend and uh, I mean going back to your uh, the first part like Jesus was a mentor, so I was like, oh, I can just, you know, look to Jesus. And uh, like, Jesus was, you know, perfect. He was the best, like, possible. And I'm not that. I do believe that I'm way more sinful than uh, any of. Like mo yeah, like any of my friends or like whoever, all the kids that I'm around, and uh, like it's just uh, yeah, like how can I 
kind of practically apply Jesus as a, a mentor friend in, in my life? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, we'll get into some of this in the next session, but one of the things we find within the sort of realm of friendship that the, the, the local church especially opens up to us is there's, there's a kind of multi-generation thing going on as well. So within, within that kind of category of friendship, there are going to be some who are our peers, some are going to be older than us, further in the faith than us, others are going to be younger than us, and, and we can be a bit, a bit more of a, a mentor too. And that can still happen within the context of real friendship. Um, but you, you adjust some of the dynamics of the friendship around the, the different generations. Um, so that there'll be some guys in their mid-twenties that I, I mentor. I don't just treat them as, as clients, they're friends. But I'm almost aware that they're, they're not peers. So my, I'm not pretending to be in my mid-twenties to be their friend, but there is a real friendship there. Um, ditto with those who mentor me, like my friend Ray, who's in his 70s. Ray and I are friends, but he's also a bit of a father figure to me. And, and both of those things are true at the same time. And that, that's part of, I think, part of the gift of the church, is that you've mm -hmm. got that, that kind of those different dynamics happening as well. I was, I was reading through Philemon yesterday, and I was struck by two things. Paul says of Onesimus that he is my son. There's a spiritual father-son dynamic at play there. He's sending Onesimus back to Philemon. He also says, I'm sending you my very heart. So Onesimus was a spiritual son of sorts to Paul, but not in a kind of, again, not he was my client and I'm his, his just mentoring in, in that kind of sense, but actually, evidently, Paul could say, this guy is my very heart. There was something heartfelt there. Um, it wasn't purely a kind of matter of utility. That's good. Um, so not to try and get a superficial answer, there's a question, a question about superficiality. We've got about two minutes for this one, then we're going we're gonna to transition. Uh, what should we do if our friendships feel superficial? Should we be looking for other friends, or should we try to go deeper with that friend? How do we grapple with the fact that in this life we can't be... Yeah, feel like having deep connection with people maybe we're trying to and it just doesn't yeah. feel like it's working. Yeah, you can't, sometimes you can't force it. Um, and it's okay to have some friendships that are superficial. That's not wrong. It's just the Proverbs is just saying you need more than that. Um, but with, with, it, with any given people that you're around, some might be up for going deeper and some might not be. And you, you can't make it happen. So I think what you can do is, is to just gently drop something into the conversation that gives an opportunity for things to go a little bit deeper and see if people are up for that or not. So you're not, you don't sort of start off with, hey, here's the most traumatic thing that happened to me in my childhood. Bang. <laughs> but as you're chatting you, and they say, hey, how are you doing? You might say, yeah, it's been a bit of a rough week, if I'm honest. And they then got an opportunity to kind of either go, oh, that's a shame. Let's do whatever else it is that we're doing, or they might say, what's going on? Tell me about that. I'd love to hear more about that. So 
Di different people are, are comfortable with different levels of friendship. Um, all of us do need someone who we can know more deeply. Some of us will like to have lots of people we can know more deeply. Some people are fine with just one or two. And we've got different temperaments and personality types in the mix as well. So I would, I would try and give gentle opportunities for someone to go deeper. And if they, if they kind of follow the breadcrumbs and do, then, then that friendship can evolve in that direction. But if they don't, that's okay. They can be more of the, the kind of acquaintance, companion from Proverbs, kind mm -hmm. of, you know, someone I'm going to hang out with, have a laugh with, but we're not going to really do the deep stuff. It's a good word. 